I believe in the millennial kingdom, the next to the last message that we're going to have on apologetics, which is not apologizing for what we believe in, but rather giving a reason for what we believe in. That's what apologetics is all about. My first emotional involvement, and listen to what I say, emotional involvement uh, in a presidential election was in 1960. John Fitzgerald Kennedy was running against Richard Morehouse Nixon, uh, or was it Milhouse? Richard M. Nixon. And uh, I remember I like Ike, but just a little bit. I wasn't very old and didn't get emotionally attached to that one. But I was emotionally invested in the 1960 election. And, of course, everyone here knows that uh, JFK did not finish his term in office because of a tragedy of being assassinated on Friday, November the 22nd, 1963. I was in a high school study hall when that happened, and it was announced over the uh, PA system. Every administration since then, and I am certain every administration even before that, we just weren't told, had some kind of allegation of corruption and influence and quid pro quo and illegality and immorality and on and on and on it goes. The political climate today, I'm sure everyone here recognizes, is so poor that, for example, members of Congress are rated in a, uh, you know, like a list of the least desirable, least trustworthy professions. And the members of Congress, <laughs> I didn't take the poll, the members of Congress right now are next to last, the last being car salespeople. And if you're a car salesperson, my apologies, it is not my poll, I'm just telling you what it is. So many, if not most people, are fed up with politicians and with all the stuff that's going on. Uh, we don't like people to say one thing and do another thing. But I've, said, I've got some great news for you regarding a coming kingdom, regarding a government that is coming in the future that will not even have the hint or a taint of wrongdoing whatsoever. And that's the subject of our study today. It's called the Millennial Kingdom. Now, we have the concept of the, of the kingdom of God and the larger concept I want to keep in mind. Now, when I talk about, when I was trying to tell the kids there's coming a king and coming a kingdom, God is already the king. Everybody got that figured out? He is already king of kings, Lord of lords. He got that by being living a perfect life, dying for us a vicarious death, rising supernaturally from the grave and ascending into heaven. So he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But the larger concept is this, coming from a world emperor, Nebuchadnezzar in the land of Babylon, he said this in Daniel 4, 33. That same hour, the judgment was fulfilled and Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. He ate grass like a cow and he was drenched with the dew of heaven. He lived this way until his hair was as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. After this time passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. My sanity returned and I praised and worshiped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. And listen to what else he said. He said, his rule is everlasting and his kingdom is eternal and all the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? God is absolutely sovereign. He is above every power. I thank God the United States is a superpower, but I want you to know that our protection does not rest with our powerful military that I love with all my heart. 
That's not where our real power is. Our power is in Almighty God who has chosen to bless us for whatever reasons he has because we've certainly wandered a long way from him. But he continues to show favor upon this great country and upon this great nation. And and I thank God that we have the the ships that we have, the aircraft that we have, the tanks that we have, all of that to try to ensure our protection. But ultimately, he is the one. God is the one who protects us and provides our needs. Now, at some point in the past, in history long ago, Satan and a group of his angels, a group of other angels, I should say, rebelled against God and uh, tried to ascend to the throne of power and take over uh, the, the power from God, and they were cast out of heaven. And then Adam, oh, several thousand years ago, was kicked out of the Garden of Eden because Adam and Eve chose to uh, disobey and to rebel against Almighty God. And God later then set up a theocratic kingdom uh, with God and God's ways and God's word as the governing documents, uh, but he governed through people like Saul and David and Solomon, all of whom had their own flies and their own ointments, and you know about those in great detail, unfortunately. But God was still ruling and reigning and was supreme. In the New Testament, Paul said through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and I wrote these words. I took uh, when Duncan Hunter Sr. Was, was elected in 1980, and I went back to the inauguration of, of Ronald Reagan, and I, I walked into Duncan's new office, and I gave him a brand-new Bible, and I gave him, uh, I underscored uh, Romans chapter 13, verse 1. It says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. And there it says... The powers that be, whether they be in civilian government, whether they be in the military, whether they be um, some uh, dictatorship somewhere, the powers that be are there only because God allows them to be there. And, and I told Duncan, you are here, and, and the, later on in that chapter, Romans 13, it says that they, are, they, they bear not the sword in vain, they are ministers of God. And so all of you who are in authority... Are, you may be in authority in the Navy, but you're, you're also an authority with Almighty God. Uh, he allowed you and allows you to be in that position. So be subject unto that highest power of all. Your ultimate commanding officer is not the president of the United States. Your ultimate commanding officer is our king, Jesus, our Lord and Savior. So in addition to governmental reign in the word of God, there's a spiritual reign of God uh, for the kingdom of God. Romans 14, 17 is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And they're the terms king of king kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God that are sometimes interchangeable in the word of God and therefore kind of confusing when you study it. And that's not the subject for today's message. But in particular, I want to talk to you about the millennial kingdom, the 1,000 year literal reign of God on earth. It is a literal reign. I mean, Jesus will sit upon a throne, uh, a descendant as a descendant of David in his natural line, of course. And this thousand-year period will be established. It'll be established on the earth with Christ on the throne. Now, I've got a a graph up here. I want to try to uh, show you what's going on. We're right here in this green part, the current church age, which, by the way, was a mystery to the Jew. To the Jews, um, they, they sought 
a coming king. And when Jesus came and initially began to perform miracles and began to have a huge following, because early on he had a huge following, the Jews began to follow him. Many of the leaders of the synagogues and, and, and workers in the temple uh, followed him, got converted, were, trusted in him, believed in him. But the church age was not seen. So they thought he was going to ascend to the throne, kick out the Romans, take over the world, set up the kingdom. That's what they thought was going to happen. And when he wound up being crucified, that's why uh, the, the Jewish people turned from him because he didn't fulfill the kingdom promised in so much of Ezekiel and Isaiah and so on. Uh, because this age was not seen. This age, was it's kind of like, if you're at a mountain peak and you're seeing from mountain peak to mountain peak, well, down here was the church age. Now, at the rapture of the church, we talked about last week, uh, that's when Christ is coming back. Had a funeral right here yesterday, a memorial service. We had, uh, uh, we, we had a lady who was 88 years old who passed away. And I got to talk. There was just very few people here, but I got to preach the gospel. Four of the family members put their faith in Jesus Christ at their grandmother and a mom's funeral service. And so I, what, a, what a blessing that was. But, but I talked to them about First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verses 13 through 18 and how that Jesus is coming back. The first part of his second coming is to come in the sky, in the air. And then uh, those who have been deceased, their bodies have been deceased, will be raised incorruptible. They'll be reunited with their spirit and then we who are alive remain will be transformed be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye and so shall we ever be with the lord remember that that word that verb there means a, a togetherness a closeness that will never ever be separated again so it was a very uh, it was a very interesting word that was used there so we will be with the lord forever and ever so we go up to heaven uh with the lord and and those who, of the church age who have uh, been resurrected and and they go up there to be with the lord we we have uh, there's several things that happen there the marriage feast of the lamb uh, the judgment seat of Christ before that, the marriage feast of the Lamb, and then a seven-year period of tribulation on the earth. The first three and a half years of that middle section tribulation uh, is, is the Antichrist gaining power and, and coalescing his power under his authority. And then the last three and a half years are terrible, incredible judgments in which over half of the world's population will be wiped out within a three and a half year period. Then is the second part of the second coming. And this is the part with Christ coming in the clouds on the white horse uh, with the multitudes coming back with him. We will come back with him. Uh, Israel will be re regathered in the land, and that begins our 1,000-year period. The uh, image there, of course, the lion will lay down with the lamb because one of the things we'll find out today is the curse will be lifted. And uh, there'll be no more thorns. There'll be no more, we don't, you know, there'll be lying, lamp. nothing will be dying. There'll be no more sickness and so on. The healing will be found in the leaves planted on either side of the river of the water of life. <clears throat> so there are kinds of scriptures there. Again, that's not the, the, the crux of what we're talking about today, but that's where it falls in the, in the time uh, 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 timeline. Then the millennial king, Jesus Christ is the son of David and he's to be the king. In Jeremiah chapter 33 verse 19, the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah saying, thus says the Lord, if you can break my covenant of the day and my covenant of the night and that there should not be any day or night in their season, then also my covenant be broken with David my servant that he should not have a son to reign upon the throne. 
It's a poetic way of writing this. If you can stop the day from being day, if you can stop the night from being night, then maybe my son David, uh, my servant, won't be on the throne and and reign. But what he's saying is you can't break God's covenant of the day. You can't break God's covenant of the night. And you cannot break the covenant I've made with David, that my servant, that he would have a son to reign upon the throne. Other verses are there in your outlines. At his birth, he was a rejected king because you don't expect a king to come as a little baby. Now, there, there have been people who ruled, came into you know, kingships and dictatorships and so on as children. Uh, in the Bible, there were some uh, who ascended to the throne at six years of age, eight years, 12 years of age, whatever. Uh, it's significant, though, uh, that Jesus, when he rode into Jerusalem, rode in on a donkey and not a horse. Anybody know the significance of that? A king who rode in on the donkey came in peace. A king who rode in on a horse came in for war. And so Jesus came in as the prince of peace, but he was rejected as the king. At the second coming, one of his titles is king of kings and lord of lords, according to Revelation 19, 16. Well, that's not the case today. Jesus is not the King of kings and Lord of lords in the hearts of most people today and unfortunately in the hearts of most Americans today and really unfortunately even in the hearts of many Christians today. He's not the ultimate source of right and wrong. He's not the ultimate rule of what we should and should not do. But one of these days, the millennial kingdom will be established and that will be the case then. The government of the millennium, there are three characteristics I want to point out to the government during the time of the millennium. The first of all is the reign of Christ will be over the entire earth, not just Israel. Jesus will reign over the entire earth. In Daniel 7, 19, 7 14, there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom in Daniel's vision here. And all people, all nations, all languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. In Psalm 72, uh, verses 8 and 9, and it's almost a repeat in Zechariah 9, 10, he shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from the river unto the ends of the earth. They that dwell in the wilderness shall bow down before him and his enemies shall lick the dust. And there are numerous Old Testament and New Testament verses, dozens and dozens of them that refer to the literal, physical, perfect reign of Jesus Christ, the son of God, the son of David in his lineage um, on the throne. The second thing is the government of Christ will be in one of absolute authority and power absolute, hey, how many have heard that uh, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely? How many have heard that? That's a lie because the only one who has absolute power is God and he is not corrupt. So it may be so with human beings that the more power you get, the more tendency there is to become corrupt. I don't know. I wouldn't argue that so much. But absolute power is only found in God, and he is not corrupt. There's nothing corrupt about him. But in Psalm 2, 9, you shall break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like potter's vessel. The enemies of God during that time as they enter into the millennium. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword when he comes back to the earth, that he should smite the nations and shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. 
And so we have a king who comes who is an all-knowing king, who knows where there is rebellion, who knows whose hearts are not right with him, and he will establish his reign and authority. So it will be over the entire earth, not just Israel. It will be one of absolute power and authority. And the third characteristic is the government of Christ during the millennium will be one of righteousness and peace. You've read about swords being beat into plowshares, huh? That's exactly what's going to happen. There won't be a need uh, for weapons during this time because God is going to rule ultimately. The judgment of Israel and Gentiles takes place, and guess what happens to the devil? Guess what happens to Satan? He gets bound for 1,000 years, 365,000 days that old devil, that old serpent, that old deceiver, that old accuser of the brothers and sisters, that, that one who's caused you grief and causes me grief, that one who's just about destroyed this nation, that one who destroys people anywhere, everywhere, that one who led the initial rebellion. One of these days, he is going to be bound for 1,000-year period. And, you know, I said this is not... And this is not this message, but, but when, it, when the Lord comes back, who's going to go into the millennium? Well, we're coming back with, with our king because we're never going to be separated again, uh, from him again. That union that takes place at the rapture, we will never, ever leave him. He'll never, ever leave us. We come back with him and rule and reign. I, I don't know. I'd kind of like to rule in Coronado, maybe. I, you know, I don't know how that's going to work. There's other preachers here, so I, I'm not sure. I'll take some, just as long as it's not... Uh, uh, El Central. I, I, I just really don't like El Central. I'm sorry if you're from El Central. Uh, but uh, we're going to be here. And, and guess what? When the Lord comes back, Israel, I mean, there's going to be this huge, huge revival in Israel. And I don't mean just in the country of Israel. I do mean that. But I mean also with Jews all over the world. They're going to see him whom they have pierced. They're going to they're gonna absolutely accept him now as their king of kings and lord of lords. And, and the Bible says a nation will be saved as in a day. And God will deliver them from the battle and the forces of the Antichrist and the battle of Armageddon and all that stuff that's taking place. And they will be saved. And, and so they will enter in. People who live through the tribulation, who, are, who either become believers or are believers and still alive, will, will enter into the kingdom of God, this millennial kingdom. That means, that means there will be natural, we'll be in glorified bodies, but there will be people in their natural bodies who will enter in and the curse will be lifted. They'll live a lot longer. They'll remain healthy, as I mentioned, all that, and they will reproduce. And there will be people born during this millennial kingdom. So for a thousand years, babies are going to be born and babies will then grow up and have babies and so on. And, and, and the thing that blows my mind is after 1,000 years of perfect rule and reign by Almighty God, Satan will be loosed for a season and people will still follow him. We were talking about this, Dan, the other day. How crazy is that? And yet, Satan knew exactly who God was and who Jesus was and rebelled. And Adam knew exactly who God was and Jesus was, walked with him in the garden and rebelled. It's just part of our fallen nature, folks. It's just part of human nature to rebel. And so, at the end of that time, 
um, there will be a falling away. By the way, during that time, anyone who dies, it'll be because of judgment upon rebellion, upon sin. And anyone who dies uh, under 100 years of age, it, 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 the reference is that it, it's, it's judgment for sin. Otherwise, they just keep on living. Again, people used to live 800 years, 900 years before the flood. But then judgment came and so on. Uh, but Isaiah 11, Psalm 72 talks about, then Israel in the millennial kingdom, point five, a, a place of privilege and special blessing. Jeremiah 33 says, 30 verse three says, for lo, the days come, says the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people, Israel and Judah, says the Lord. I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to the fathers and they shall possess it. They will be gathered. They will be restored. They will no longer be a divided kingdom. They will be a one united people. And there are so many passages to the above. We don't have time to go into them. But number six, point six, the blessings of the millennial kingdom. And I got so excited studying about this. I don't know that I've studied about the millennium a lot since Bible college. And I don't remember getting as excited when I was in Bible college about the millennium. I got excited about the rapture. I got excited about, you know, living forever in heaven. I got excited about, and I don't really, we don't know that much about heaven, to tell you the truth. We know a lot more about the millennial kingdom than we do heaven. We know a lot more about uh, the tribulation than we do the specifics of heaven. Uh, but I'm going to tell you something. When I started studying this, I got excited. Satan is bound, open sin is judged, and the knowledge of God becomes universal. Man, if that's all that happens, that's, that's good stuff, Amen. That's good stuff. The devil, he's going to be put in a cell somewhere and, and, and won't be bugging you and, and causing you so, many, so much grief. Open sin is judged immediately. So people, uh, people are not going to be so violent and, and crazy as they seem to be today. And the knowledge of God is universal. Isaiah 11, 9 through 10 says, They shall not hurt nor destroy in all thy holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be the root of Jesse, which shall stand for the ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and the rest shall be glorious. Jeremiah 31, 33 says, But this shall be the covenant that I make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their inward hearts and will write it in their hearts and they and, and, it, and will be their God and they shall be my people and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. And those days shall the righteous flourish and the abundance of peace uh, so long as the moon endures. And, and in Isaiah 12, with you, with joy, you will drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. In that wonderful day, you will sing, thank the Lord, praise his name, tell the nations what he has done. Let them know how mighty he is. Sing to the Lord, for he has done wonderful things. Make known his praise around the world. Let the people of Jerusalem shout his name, his praise with joy, for great is the Holy One of Israel who lives among you. I mean, just, just reading that kind of psychs me up. It's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be fun. It's going to be, I mean, praising God everywhere. I get so excited now when some sports guy says something about, you know, thank God for, you know, I, I couldn't have knocked that guy out and beat him to a bloody pulp if it weren't for Jesus. Thank you, God. You know, I get excited about that now uh, when, when they give glory to God, even if it's for beating someone. But 
but uh, man, in that day, it's going to be just thank God for all that he does. And then the Holy Spirit is going to be operative during this age. In Joel chapter 2, it shall come to pass. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And, and also upon the servants and upon thy handmaidens. In those days, I will pour out my spirit. And there will be a millennial temple. I, I was going to show you the, the comparative size. The millennial temple is going to be huge compared to Solomon's temple. Uh, compared to Herod's temple, compared to the, the three previous temples, it's going to be huge. And, and there will be sacrifices at the millennial temple. Now this, you, you stop and say, wait a minute, why will there be sacrifices? Because Christ was the final sacrifice, wasn't he? And of course he was. But you got to remember, before Christ, the oxen, the sheep, the goats, the pigeons, the meal offerings, everything that was offered, none of that was efficacious. None of that saved anybody. It's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats can save us. It's not. All these sacrifices did was to look forward to the cross of Christ where Jesus would be the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. So the blood of these sacrifices did not absolve anyone of sin. Did not. It was an atonement. It was a covering for a while. It was a temporary thing until the real sacrifice came. And in the millennial kingdom, the sacrifices will be made once again. Not the mosaic uh, sacrifice. There will be animal sacrifices, but it'll be different. It'll be different from, from the offerings in the Old Testament. But they will look back to just like today. We, we have, and next week we'll have the, the unleavened bread, speaking of the body of our Savior. We'll have the cup, speaking of the shed blood of Christ. We, we know there's nothing that saves us in those elements. But what they represent saves us the broken body the shed blood of the son of almighty god and so these sacrifices will look back to what saved them and and here's here's kind of a cool thought i thought i thought it was a cool thought i think it's the first thought first time i ever thought this thought i think i think it was the first thought Uh, never mind anyway maybe maybe the millennial kingdom will be so spiritual so exciting, so godly, so wonderful that people will forget how grievous sin really is. See, we don't we don't think that way. We live in a world where everything's on the screen, everything's on television, news brings you the worst of the worst all the time. We see heinous things happen. We hear about heinous things that happen all the time. In war, mass murders, senseless things, sexual attacks, um, bondage, children being abused, brokenness. We hear about all that and we become, we become kind of immune to it. We become kind of calloused. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, another mall shooting. Yeah. Oh yeah. What else? What are we having for dinner? That's kind of how we think of it. But you know what? Maybe things are so 
under control. And maybe things are so spiritual. And maybe things are so perfect that people forget how awful sin is until they understand that there has to be death and bloodshed in order to have life. That'd be a different world than I live in today. In any case, it'll be a time of righteousness, joy, peace, spiritual blessings, social, economic plenty, more so than at any other time since the fall. The curse on the earth will be lifted. I already mentioned that, Isaiah 35, 1 and 2. There'll be abundant rainfall everywhere. The deserts will bloom and blossom. When I went to Israel several years ago, I don't know how you guys, how did you guys go? Did you go across the Sinai? No, you flew in, you flew into Tel Aviv? Yeah. When we went, we went to Egypt, and they just opened the Sinai, and we rode in taxis with these Egyptian drivers driving, I mean, right down the middle of the roads as fast as they could drive, going around sand dunes. They'd come to a big sand dune. They'd just honk their horns, so if anybody was actually on their side of the road, which they were supposed to be, they would move over. And we had this caravan, and we went through the Sinai. And it was, everything was barren, everything was desert, everything was brown until we got to the gates and the fence that was Israel. And it was like a garden. It was beautiful. That's going to happen on all the earth. Abundant rainfall. Isaiah chapter 30, Isaiah chapter 35, the parched ground shall become a pool and the thirsty land springs of water and the habitation of dragons where each lay shall be grass with reeds and rushes. In general, the whole earth will know prosperity, health, physically and spiritually blessings such as never has been known. The millennial kingdom will kind of be the golden age of the earth, a fitting climax to the installation of a perfect king and a perfect kingdom. And it will last 100 years. I'm ready. Sign me up. Sounds good to me. Won't have to listen to the evening news about what politicians done what now. Finally, it'll be over. Heaven will soon follow after this, but not quite yet. And next week, we're going to talk about final judgments. And they're pretty awesome. But I want to ask you something. Are you ready for the kingdom of God? Are you ready for the sound of the trumpet, the voice of the archangel? Are you ready for the return of the Savior who loves you so much that he died for you? Would you bow your heads, please? Every head bowed. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for loving us that much. We thank you, Lord, for the beautiful prophecies that you've given to us history pre-written. Father, we thank you for that. We know that you are the sovereign God now already. We know that you're being patient and that you're not coming back for the last 2,000 years. is no big deal. It's every day is, is a 1,000 years. A 1,000 years is a day. You don't wear a watch. You don't have to be governed by a calendar. You don't get old. You don't get weak. You don't pass away. You're just always sovereign God, all-powerful. And you're just always a loving God who wants to clean us up from our miserable sin and wants to put our feet on the right path. And I pray that you would do that today in this place with every head bowed, every eye closed if you're here this morning.
and you're not ready for the kingdom of God, you're not ready for Jesus to return, you're not certain if you died you'd be in heaven, then I want you to pray and ask Christ to be your Savior right now. And you can pray something like this. It's not a magic. It's not a special. You don't have to say it in exactly these words. But if your desire is to know Christ personally as your Lord and your God, then would you pray something like this? Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I don't deserve to go to heaven. I know I can't get there on my own. But I believe that you sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross. And I believe he shed his blood for me. And I believe he died and was buried. And that he rose again on the third day. And I believe that if I'll ask him, he'll forgive me of my sins and be my Lord and my Savior. So I ask you, Lord, right now, forgive me for every rebellion I've ever had. Save my soul, I pray in Jesus' name. With every head still bowed, if you just prayed that prayer right now, sincere as you know how to be, would you raise your hand up? Hold it up real high. Don't be ashamed. Hold it up real high. Keep it up for just a moment. I just prayed that prayer, preacher. I meant it with all my heart. Our Father, we're so grateful and so thankful for the promises you've made. Lord, I pray, too, that for those who know you as personal Savior, that Lord, we, we'd live for you, that we'd, we'd try to put into practice kingdom principles every single day because we are living letters. We're the only Bible that some people know. God, help us in our neighborhoods, in our jobs, in our schools to live for you. And we pray it in Jesus' name.